Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew uh, for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. My name's Bill, and today my guests are Al- Alan and Alison, and they're members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, and they're going to be sharing how FA has helped them to recover from food addiction. Um, Alan's in the 3CR studio, and Alison's on the, on the phone from Sydney, so welcome to both of you. Hi, Bill. Hi. Ah, Good. Um, well, we, um, Living Free Show talks about recovery and it talks about recovery in a 12 step, um, program. <clears throat> and so we highlight uh, a number of, um, what addictions, um, on the program and occasionally we do food addicts. And so this is one of those occasions. <laughs> so, um, I think the last time was, oh, October last year or somewhere like that. So it's good to have you have you guys back. Um, so on on the show, in talking about recovery, we, we used to go through a process of talking about growing up and how you got in and then what life's like now. But we thought we'd sort of start talking about what it's like in recovery and how much better your life is today than what it was. So um, Alan, we'll start with you. So how long have you been in FA? I've been in FA for six years, and do you want me to elaborate on? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you may as, well, may as well elaborate. Yeah. Elaborate. So I've been in for six years, and uh, um, I've been in reco- I've had recovery for that time, and for me, my life is a lot <clears throat> better because of being in recovery, and I'm able to work through my daily situations without turning towards my drug. Uh, I think that's uh, for me the uh, the biggest thing is that I don't feel like I still feel stressed. I still get through, have the daily emotions, the daily uh, process, but I have pro- uh, programmers given me the tools to work through those issues every day, so I don't have to bear them on my shoulders and turn towards food for yeah. for uh, for relating to people or to, for dealing with a situation or for actually not dealing with a situation. <laughs> right. So uh, weight is probably the, the big issue when we talk about food. So what was your weight coming in? So my weight was uh, 180 kilograms. Right, which is big. Which is big, <laughs> and I'm six foot. So yeah. uh, a lot mm. of people went, oh, you know, you, held, you carried your weight well, but, you know, I looked like one of those guys with the big sumo suits on. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people said I had a little head and a big body. Right, okay. Um, so, and what are you now? Uh, I am 85 kilograms. Okay. Which is pretty normal for a six foot. Which yeah. is pretty normal now. It's probably yeah. a little lean for a six foot, but, uh, <laughs> it is, it is normal. Like, I'm um, I'm in a, no- I'm in a normal body size now. Yep. Um, so your problem was eating too much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, excessive eating. Mine was, uh, to a point where food was just daily obsession. And yeah. it was like from morning to night, food was always there and it was always a thing. Like even before I'd go to bed, when I woke up in the morning, during my work day, it would center around food, uh, everything. Like food was just one of those things like where I'd be 
on my way into work would be drive-through food, drive-through uh, fast food. On the way home, drive-through fast food. Uh, at night, it'd be snack foods and you know, and uh, even breakfast products at all hours of the day, um, and energy drinks and whatever I could actually get my hands on, really, to just just it used to just pump me along. Right. Okay. Well, we'll swap across to you, Alison. Um, so, how long have you been in food addicts? So I came into uh, FA Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous in the end of 2012, so it's just a little over six and a half years. And um, the way FA helps me today is, you know, I was all sharing with him, we were chatting earlier, is that um, everything that I have in my life today is because I am not eating and throwing up my food and because I'm overweight. Because I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I used to have this kind of um, belief when I'm thin, then like my life would work out and I would fantasize about being thin. And, you know, and one of the things I actually had to learn is I got into recovery and, you know, we have this saying that like you're driving along and as you're eating, you're just throwing the trash in the back seat and you get into recovery and it's like slamming your foot on the brake. And then you're not cruising along anymore, but all of the trash just flies forward and it's in the front seat and you kind of got to deal with it. And that was a little bit of my story in the sense that I got into recovery and I came in weighing 75 kilos and today I weigh, um, normally I weigh around 55. I am a little bit heavier because we're trying to get pregnant and the doctors recommended it. And um, I, yeah, but my highest weight was, around 83, 85 kilos, and I lost 30 kilos being bulimic, exercise bulimic, and just actually just throwing up my food and taking lots of amphetamines. And what I learned is thin isn't well, because I've been this weight and crazy. And um, getting into SA and getting thin, you know, I just thought all of my problems would just disappear. And, um, you know, as well, as, um, as uh, Alan said, there um, there is a... Oh, sorry, I just lost my chance to watch. Um, yeah, so, um, it's, yeah, so I guess it's just, um, that it's been just such a remarkable journey and I love being in a healthy body. I love the relationship that I have with people today. I love that I can look people in the eyes and tell them that I love them. I can tell them that I love myself. I used to think if you say you love yourself, you were being really arrogant, but today I just have a lot of peace with who I am and it's awesome. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, Coming into FA, what was it like coming to your first meeting? Is that one for me? Yeah. Yeah, so what was it like? So I came into an FA meeting um, and I came and sat down and I remember the people at the front just all being thin and a woman gets up and shares in the meeting, you know, I've had to go shopping today to buy a new pair of jeans because my old ones wore out. And I remember thinking, oh, that's amazing because... I had gone from a big part of my story, I'd go size 8, size 10, size 12, size 14, and then I would just go to stretchy because I wouldn't admit that I'd need to buy plus size. And um, so here somebody was saying, I used to be the weight that I was. Now, I used to be 85, 90 kilos, and now I, you know, I, I, I wear the same jeans year in, year out. That just kind of blew my mind. And then the other thing she said to me, she said that this woman shared from the front of the room is that you get, you get, a new, you get a personality change. And I just thought, oh, I want one of them. And then immediately my next thought after that was what kind of person wants a personality change? Somebody that truly hates themselves. 
And, um, yeah, so I decided to get on board and, um, you know, there was an opportunity to ask somebody for a sponsor, which is, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with Top Step programs, the way that it works is that you ask somebody that's just a little bit further down the track than you, that's got the experience to kind of help you and teach you what they do to abstain from their drug one day at a time. And I asked this woman and she made a suggestion about a particular food product I should eat. I was like, I don't eat that. It gives me heartburn. And she said, just try it. And so I did. And I eat it today and it doesn't give me heartburn. And what I've learned was everything else that I was eating was giving me the heartburn. But the abstinence food that I eat today is just delicious. It's healthy. It's fresh. Um, and it's good. Okay, thanks. Uh, we'll cut, cut back to Alan. Um, so your first meeting was like what? <laughs> uh, mine was a bit of fear as well. Like, I mean, I... Uh, one, I didn't know what I was walking into. I had never been in 12-step programming before, didn't have an idea what to... Like, for me, AA only existed in movies when some guy was saying that he was doing his step nine and going around and apologising to people. That's what 12-step programming... Like, I didn't even really realise what that was. I just knew what AA was, um, just based on movies. So I came into my first meeting thinking I was walking into a diet club and realising that this isn't, you know, I rocked in late. I was about five minutes late and we have our readings at the start and, you know, the first word that I heard from somebody standing up the front reading was God. And it really made me shudder. Like, it really made me shudder in that sort of uh, way. And um, I didn't, I sat there full of fear, thinking, what am I walking into? I sat there with, you know, this massive body size, looking at everybody all skinny and healthy and happy and smiling and saying, my life's, you know, my life's great now, I'm in program. And I'm like sitting there going, well, none of you know what it's like to be me because I'm the biggest one here. And realizing when I heard other people's stories and shares and uh, people talking from the front of the room that everybody knew what it was like to be me. It's just, I thought I was different. And I always thought I was unique, and I really, I'm, I'm not. I'm, you know, somebody actually, I, somebody's uh, has, you know, they coined this little phrase, and it's a, you know, just another bozo on the bus. Yeah. And realizing I, you know, I was just another bozo. I just was another person on the bus, like exactly the same as everybody else. I wasn't special. My sizing made me different, but it didn't make me any unique when it came to my food addiction. Yeah. So I walked out of there, out of my first meeting, kind of like going, wow, you know, I've got to come back for more. I've got to see what else is on offer here. And I didn't grab a sponsor first. It took me about a month of coming to meetings to grab a sponsor. Um, so my story is a little different. Um, but when I did, it, you know, that was, that was definitely life-changing from that moment, actually starting the program once I realized that, you know, I could actually do, I could actually do this. I could dedicate my life around from work, family, everything like that to, Doing all that without eating food addictively. Right, okay. Uh, so what are the benefits now for you? Like what's life like now than what it was before? Okay, so for me, you know, I explained before on yeah. my entire life was spent around eating food. My life has not changed in any way with what goes on in my life. I still have work stresses, family stresses, all that sort of stuff. But now I am able to, you know, work a full day of work, get in there, you know, handle my situations, handle problems, screaming clients. I'm able to drop my kids off, you know, you know, say handle my kids. I'm able to 
you know, uh, be there and uh, and support my children before school, after school, you know, make them dinner, whatever it is. And I don't need to be hand in the fridge or, you know, ordering food in or constantly eating, you know, food uh, that's not, you know, that I don't have uh, part of my food plan. So for me, that is a a benefit to be able to not be sort of separating myself from, say, my work day by disappearing to a cafe for two to three hours. Yep. I can actually have a job in front of me, work on it and do it. I have my time when, times when I eat and I'm able to work and I'm able to live life outside of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how long did it take in Food Addicts before you started noticing the benefits of the program? So weight benefits was pretty much straight away. I lost 14 kilograms in my first month. So that, that that's one thing. The weight benefits, the mental and the uh, the spiritual benefits that I used to, that I get in a way of like I was a nicer person, a calmer person, not screaming my head off at everybody. You know, I'll let you know on that one. But no, <laughs> no. In my first year, I definitely started seeing the benefits. Uh, in my first year, like. Around my first year, I started seeing the benefits. I think once the weight came off, I started thinking of it less as a diet and more as a recovery program. Yep. So do you have a pull, an attraction to food today? No. No. No, no, no. no. Like I, I, I can, like, you know, we've just gone through, uh, you know, we've just gone through Easter and, uh, and, you know, the family, all the family dinners and everything like that. And I turn up to everything with my, you know, with my food and, and I make my, I make all my own stuff, and I don't have to worry about when I'm going to eat, how I'm going to eat, if somebody's going to be able to supply me all this, all that sort of stuff. Um, it doesn't mean I can't go to people's places, and and I just need to. You know, there's a little bit more pre-organising, but in that sense, like I don't have you know for all the uh, for all the sugar products that we've had for the last week around the place, yeah. um, I haven't had the the need or want. To uh, to go scoffing that in my face. Oh, okay, um, so Alison, cross to you. So benefits of being in uh, food addicts. So when did you start feeling that things were changing for the better? Well, just like Alan, I also the, the you know there was just something about you know you know we part of the way that we work our program is we wake up in the morning and we speak to a sponsor in the beginning of every day and a part of that phone call is committing what I'm going to eat for the day and I just remember on that first day of eating the thing that I said I was going to eat and putting my head on the pillow at the end of the night that integrity that I had was it was profound and it was new because before then I would wake up in the morning and my first thought would literally be what can I eat today that was going to make me lose weight and I would start this journey of either refusing to eat, like I'm not eating, I'm not eating. So not eating was a full-time job. And satiating that craving, like eating as much as I can with the least amount of weight gain. Like it was just an obsession. And so coming into the program and straight away just having that food in its place, there was just a mental freedom. It's actually quite funny because I, I got into the program, I got absent within a week. I was like... I have all this free time because a big part of my disease is what I would cook for people. I had this fantasy that one day I'd open a cafe, a catering company. And so I was regularly like coming up with recipes, looking at food porn on the internet, like all those recipe things and, and making, like, having ideas. And, you know, I, I, went, I had some, my first amendment, I used to steal from coals um, all the time. My first amendment was actually two coals because I'd scan everything out as onions. And I would just go and every meal, seven, 
dollars worth of condiments just for one meal. Like, it was insane. Yeah. And um, and so I yeah, and so having that integrity around eating what I said I'm going to eat and eating things that I'd paid for and um, not throwing out my food because I'd overeaten like that was that was a liberation that just came straight off the bat. I too lost weight quite. I lost my I lost seven kilos in my first month. I you know I came in as I mentioned, you know, weighing 75. So that was 10% of my body weight. Like it's still quite, for my size, it was quite significant. And um, and so, yeah, and, and the way, so the, the, I guess those are um, some things that happened straight away. In recovery, I think, you know, there, there are the subtle ones that people start to see in you before you see for yourself. I remember once my sister was joking. She's like, I'm going to straddle you down and we're going to put a chocolate in your mouth. And my mum screams out, no. And my sister was joking, but it was really cool to kind of hear my mum, like, go into that for me because it's humbling at the same time because she's saying, yeah, you need this program. But it was also very sweet because obviously she could see that it was working. Yeah. And um, and I have just a couple of things that I've walked through in this program that I think is mind-blowing is I had both my parents have cancer at the same time and both of them were home post-operative and I didn't eat through that. And I had a sibling going through rehab and then relapsing on like some pretty serious drugs and I didn't eat through that. And, you know, then going into psych wards and I've been through breakups and I haven't eaten through that. And I've um, been through um, my grandmother dying and I didn't eat through that. I've moved states. I've traveled to, you know, Bali and Japan and America and Zaldivarians France and have snowboarded around the world like this program is so freeing and it just because I, I know my boundaries and I know how to look after myself today yeah. and um, I just know that you asked um, about you know is the food triggering or does it call sometimes and for me 99% of the time I absolutely have neutrality and you know, I'm a married woman today and I do cook things for my husband but I ne- wouldn't necessarily eat myself because it's, it's poison to me um, but that 1% of the time when the food is a little bit loud, I use it as a litmus test to indicate, oh, I actually need to maybe do some extra quiet time or I need to get in touch with another fellow and, or maybe do some writing or, you know, pray to my higher power. And I have tools today instead of, I love when my sponsor says to me, you don't have to hurt yourself with food today because it was like, this is too hard. I'm going to hurt myself with food because at least I'm controlling the way that I'm hurting. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like I'm not perfect and, you know, I, I'm an addict in flour and sugar, absolutely. My drive and so is quantity. But um, when I eat at the appropriate meal times and when I eat what weight and measured from my food plan, um, I'm free to actually just process life on life terms. Yeah, which is a very important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, we might just take a break. So you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio, and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, we've got about 80 episodes of a Living Free Show available as podcasts, and they're on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Living Free. Uh, you can also contact us on 03 9419 or via email, 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com, and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Are you having trouble controlling the way you eat? Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous is having two information sessions during May in Melbourne that, you may, that may help you. 
First one's on Saturday the 11th of May from 10am to 11.30am at the St Kilda Baptist Church, 9 Packington Street, St Kilda. Second one's on Monday the 13th of May from 7 to 8.30pm at St Ignatius Church, 326 Church Street, Richmond. For more information, you can call Food Addicts on 1800 717 446. You can email them at faustralia at foodaddicts.org or visit uh, the website foodaddicts.org. Um, we've also got a show coming up next Wednesday, and that's Chronically Chilled, and here's their promo. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically, Chronically Chilled. Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. Okay, we're back. Uh, now I'm talking with um, Alan and Alison, uh, and we're talking about food addicts in recovery and how to address food addictions. Um, so some of the things we've been through is uh, living living now, um, but I guess it's also important to look back at how we got there and what are the, what are some of the issues along the way. So for you, um, Alan, in the old days... What was what was life like for you before you got into food addicts? What was a normal day? So a normal day would be, uh, so first thing in the morning, I'd usually reach into my bedside drawer and grab uh, grab something out of there that I'd had from the night before that uh, may have been, or I may have had something in there. Um, that was my first thing. And I'd, I'd wait. I'd, You're talking about food. I'm yeah. talking about yeah. food. I'm talking about food. Whatever I had in there. Whatever I had in there. You know, I'd reach, reach over and it'd be you know, a candy bar or something like that. And, uh, um, but like now I wake up at 5am, I have, uh, I have meditation time or quiet time. I have uh, a call with my sponsor. Um, I make calls out to other people. I do journaling. I do all sorts of things. So uh, what it was, what it was for me beforehand was I'd wake up whenever I woke up. I'd usually let you know, the kids would be my barometer. Like if the kids got up at, uh, at seven thirty eight o'clock, I would like, to me, the time I started work really wasn't as big of an issue um, in my head. I just, you know, it's, I, but I'd always be reaching for food. Then it'd be a screaming match around the house, trying to get ready for work. Where's this? Where's that? You know, no, no organisation to my to my day. Running out of the house to like literally, like I had a three year old daughter and a three month old daughter before coming in. You know, never. You know, so um, but like right up to the thing I was a three-year-old and a three-month-old, but my three-year-old daughter, like taking her to childcare was just like getting her out of the house as quick as possible. And then dropping her off and going to um, to a drive through fast food. Had to have that, you know, had to have that in the morning. And then more than likely dro- driving to one of those again during the rest of the day. Uh, yeah, on like I live down the peninsula and I work up in, um, I work up towards the city. So that, hour drive or hour and a half drive some days was split by stopping off at fast food places then i'd get into work and i'd be sitting there in front of my work computer with a bowl of you know one of those big coles soup bowls full of breakfast product and just eating um you know eating something uh for breakfast and on facebook and this is like nine thirty in the morning then after that would be I would sort of, you know, structure my day around 
Could I get onto the phone with a friend and see if he wanted to catch up at a cafe? Or if he didn't, then I would find out what jobs I had and then possibly I could go here because I know this cafe is there and I'd time it to here because I know they serve this and I wanted that. And then my afternoon was, you know, spending the day, you know, on my way home, stopping off at more fast food places and going to uh, going to a supermarket and getting baked goods so that I could then have them and going to their, you know, to the confectionery aisle and getting, you know, stuff from there and more than likely the freezer aisle to get some some dessert products. And then I'd be coming out of there with just a load of stuff and I'd be already eating it. Before I'd even get home, I'd be already eating this stuff in the car. My car, like Alison said beforehand, throwing those food wrappers in the back seat. You know, that was me. Like I had a foot high of food wrappers and cockroaches and ugliness in that back seat. And it took me coming into program to actually clean out the back seat of my car. And then getting home putting everything away and then literally thinking to myself, do I want to cook or do I just order in? And more, nine times out of 10, it was just order in. Even for, even for my three-year-old child, it was, it was ordering in fast food. That was it. That was, yeah. that was you know, I, I literally was one of those childhood obesity uh, candidates for my kids. You know, it was one of the, my kids were destined for that if, if I hadn't come in program because that, that was the way that I was treating them was just, you know, to me, the golden arches were – that was a day out for my for me and my kids. Uh, I was taking them to the Golden Arches to play in the play equipment. So for me, there was that thing of that every day just centered around where could I get food, how could I center my day around food, and the nights were then yeah I'd I'd, I'd be having a massive bowl of uh, you know whatever it is breakfast product doused in sugar and a seven hundred and fifty mil can of energy drink. And I'd be eating all the stuff I'd bought from the supermarket as well as that. Um, so it was just loads of quantity and just just eating it all. Like th- there would be very rarely there'd be anything left what I'd bought earlier, anything left in a day. Wow. So it was a lot of food, a lot of food. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and so it really did show on how much I abandoned my skills as a father and my skills as an employee and a husband and whatever it was, yeah. um, any form of relationship that I had for, with anybody else was literally just replaced with a relationship with food. Mm. Okay. Did you think growing up that you had a normal, a normal life? Yeah. So as, yeah, um, I thought that when I was, when I was in that time as a child, I didn't think that my life was any different to anybody else's. Or my relationship with food was any different than anybody else's. To me, growing up, my thought pattern around it was, um, you know, I thought that what I ate was exactly identical to what other people ate. Or the way that my feelings around food was exactly identical. I didn't think that there was anything wrong with it or there was any problem with it. So... I just thought that I was uh, a normal kid. Uh, listen, we might just take a break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Well, I've got Alison back on the line. Um, so Hello. sorry about that. I think I cut you off at this end. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, so what I was was going to ask you or tried to ask you was um, what was life life like early on were you as a child were you attracted to food yeah oh my goodness I said my mum I'd wake up in the morning and my 
my mom would say, what do you want to eat for breakfast? And I would like tense up and my eyes would pop open and I would just be like chocolate. And um, I was a very adventurous eater. My sister would be someone that would just eat, you know, toasty cheese sandwiches everywhere we went. And um, I just have memories of, you know, there was one time my dad took me on a business trip to Japan and like I was, you know, trying everything or... Um, you know, before I could even say ricotta, I was like, I'd say I want terracotta cheese. <laughs> like I just had, I just want, I just all food excited me, and I just said yes to it all. Um, and growing up, it never there was always a shame about it. I was now thinking in my quiet time this morning actually about um, my relationships with my grandparents, who you know, God bless them, have all passed away now. But I would go to their house even at the age of eighteen, and I would say hello, and I'd kind of walk straight past them and you know, go to the cookie box or go to that cupboard um, in my, you know, in my grandma's house and I'd go to this cupboard and there would be food in there. And I can pretty much tell you any significant event in my life, I can tell you what I ate and what it tasted like and, and, and what other people ate. Like, I probably can't tell you what they wore and I'm not really great with names, but I can tell you what food you've eaten. And um, I just have a very keen awareness to, um, to food and um, it just, you know, I think as a young kid, you know, treats are an exciting thing, but, you know, it never went away. And I would bond with people over eating. Um, you know, I'd have the girlfriends that would also kind of come to the food courts and eat that food. And I was so dishonest that my parents, you know, would let me use their credit card if I needed to get home on Saturday night or something. And I would be like, well, food accounts because I need to eat. And so I would be taking myself to like, Expensive restaurants, restaurants down Chapel Street, and um, just buying food for myself all the time. And um, I learned quite early on that people like food as well. And so I was a bit of a, a food pusher. I remember I went to a new school, and one of the girls on my first day, I, I bought her an icy pole, um, and she invited me to sleep over. And I was like, oh, that's that's how it works. And so I would constantly be offering to buy people food. The control manipulation that's what I know now but at the time I was just trying to fit in and um I was getting bigger and bigger and at the time I remember there was this one product this, a chocolate eclair that my teachers uh, they used to sell at the school canteen and my mom actually had to call the school and say do not let her eat buy this thing and I would go there and be like can I have it can I have it can I have it I'll just have half and eventually they felt so sorry for me that they gave me half like yeah. because I just wouldn't leave them alone and all of my, I remember being at a friend's house once and her mum had like made these like schnitzels or something for dinner. I'm just, you know, I'm remembering this. This is when I was eight years old and I, I'm remembering the food products. Like, mom, I have a very keen awareness for food. And um, I, yeah, and so she said, can you not eat these things because they're for my, my children, it's for my family. And she actually smacked me and said like, she shooed me out of her kitchen. And I just remember thinking, like, how do I get downstairs when she's not in there to get more? It wasn't like, okay, she shamed me and pulled me off. And I'd like to think that behavior disappeared. But growing up, you know, I started working in pubs and it would be like Tuesday night, like Palmer and beer night. And these guys would come in and order the usual. And I would then collect their plates. And these are men that I did not know at all. And I would be scraping the plates into the bin, eating chips off the plate, just hoping that the chefs didn't see me. But, like, I just wanted the food. And I'm like, it's fine. I know these people. It's like, I didn't know them. They just came in every Tuesday to get food. And, like, that was the, that constant of I'm, 
you know, people, you come into program, people say, oh, I ate out of bins. And I would be like, that's gross. I never did that. But um, what I did was pretty gross, you know. And Or I would go and buy, like, fast food, and I'd be like, I'm not eating this anymore. And I'd put it in the brown paper bag. I'd put the brown paper bag in the bin. And then a few hours later, I'd be like, actually, I do want it. And so I wasn't technically, like, eating out of the bin, but I was eating out of the bin. Like, um, and so it just, there was a lot of, my food addiction is very much tied in with, Shane, eating eating food I don't want to eat and just God help me if somebody sees me doing it because I am so embarrassed right now. Yeah. So did you want to get thin all the time? Yeah. So um, I also, a big part of my disease is bulimia and I just thought that being thin was the answer. And so in year 12, I was really struggled with, um, you know, studying. I got kicked out of the year 12 car park for speeding all the time. I was smoking a lot of weed. And I got my license in year 12, and I thought, I just want to be thin to get a guy. And I got a car, and that didn't get me a guy. And I thought, if I just get thin, I'll get a guy. And so I started throwing up my food, and I finished school, and I went on a program after school to Israel. And while all my friends were volunteering and doing all of these um, programs and sessions, and I was roaming up and down Jerusalem, eating and throwing up my food, doing lines of bongos, smoking hash, just in, in, just, it just got in more and more insane. I came back from that program, you know, I tried to lose the genetics for the first time, and then I started going to trance festivals and taking amphetamines, and I would be on the dance floor, and my friends would say things like, oh, I've taken pills and I haven't eaten in two days, and I'm like, yeah, right, like, everyone says that, but even when I took those drugs, it was, I remember doing things like then going to the fridge and opening the fridge and going, oh my gosh, I'm not hungry, but then eating anyway. And um, I would be on the dance floor literally it'd be four in the morning and every, I'm like high out of my mind and all I'm thinking is I'm losing weight, I'm losing weight, I'm losing weight. And um, yeah, and I ended up meeting a guy that, um, an Indian man and moving to the foothills of the Himalayas. And again, I'm in, this, I'm in the Himalayas. I've opened this cafe in the Himalayas. We're supposed to be starting this new life together. And all I'm thinking is like, He's not eating and he's six foot three. So why should I be eating? Because eating is cheating. And I'm going crazy in my mind with smoking hash. I'm losing it. got no one to speak to in English. And all I'm, the only, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm getting thin. I'm getting thin. And I'm hating it going, but I can't go home because everyone in Melbourne just thinks that I'm, you know, living this amazing life in India. And so a lot of my disease is really driven by what I thought other people thought about me. And that's a big thing when you asked about what are one of the gifts that I've been given in recovery is that I don't, you know, I'm interested in what my higher power thinks about me. And um, I don't, you know, I don't make decisions based on trying to please man as much. There are some times where I do still get caught up, but I moved to the foothills of the Himalayas because I thought people thought it was cool that I was doing it. And I thought if I was thin, then I was beautiful. And today I, I've learned... Um, that I lost during that time of the drugs and the partying and I got to the weight that I am today, but I was crazy. And what I learned is that sin is not well. And so it's just, it's not just, oh, okay. I think that a food addict in recovery is a beautiful thing, but a food addict without their food or any addict without their drugs and without a program, it, it, it can be very dangerous. And I was suicidal and, you know, I, I used to, cut my wrist like and, and I just did it because I thought that's what people did like I just I was so numb and you know I just I liked throwing up it was just 
I was just I was a very very sick unhealthy person, and and by the end of it, I was fat and and bulimic. Like the bulimia stopped working, <laughs> and so, you know, and so I used to call myself a retarded bulimic. <laughs> you know, and I'd be bike riding from like Caulfield to to Brunswick to volunteer at Ceres Farm, going oh it's organic, it's fine. Um, and then I'd bike ride back and I'd be bike riding then out again to Brunswick to go out at night on Saturday nights. And I'm doing back and forth and I'm still getting fat. Like I'm getting bigger and bigger. And I just, I, I must have been, in order to maintain, to be putting on weight with that amount of exercise, like, you know, I say if you're on a diet and you're putting on weight, then you might be a food addict. <laughs> boy, oh boy, I was. I was popping them on. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I'll cut back to Alan. Um, so growing up, did you believe food was a, a problem to you? So growing up, yeah, no, I, I, as I said before, I didn't believe food was a problem at the time when I was a kid. Mm. I thought my weight was my problem. So I would swim like, you know, a kilometre to two kilometres in the pool in the morning but then get out and go to you know, my school my school tuck shop and eat a massive amount of food after that. Or I'd uh, I'd be going to the gym and I'd be doing an hour's training and then leaving there and going to uh, drive through fast food, thinking my metabolism's running faster. I can eat whatever I want for the next hour because it's, I'm yeah. just going to burn it off. Yeah. <laughs> but eating enough food for four people, you know, and and just packing the weight on and wondering why I was getting overweight because. I'm exercising, and that's that should uh, that should sustain what I'm putting away. I should be able to exercise my weight away. And so, as a at a young as a young child, I even tried mimicking. Like I was, you know, in in high school, in early high school, I was uh, I was over eighty kilograms. I was closer to hundred kilograms, and uh, I had a friend of mine that was around fifty kilograms. And I thought I'd spend two weeks with him over school holidays, eating the exact same food as him. And I just kept putting weight on and thinking, okay, then it must be the exercise he's doing. So I, you know, so I copied him with exercise and I just kept putting weight on and realizing what it was, was my, my headspace around everything. When I was, when I was eating the same as him, I wasn't exercise. When I was exercising the same as him, I wasn't eating like him. I was eating way more than him or I was doing half the amount of exercise or whatever it was. Like I was just my headspace crazy trying to uh, trying to compare myself to everybody else so i think for me at the time i thought that i was normal but when i came into program i realized that you know at a young age i would uh, disappear down to the uh, you know down to the local milk bar and you know buy a whole pile of food and be so afraid of my mum ever seeing this stuff that i would like shove it down my you know down in my pockets or in my backpack and i would take it upstairs and I'd eat it, on, I'd eat it by myself. Now, as a child, at that time, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. But now seeing that eating in isolation and hiding food from the rest of my yeah. family was just, you know, was just a, you know, a, the, the matchstick that went in and lit the fire. Like it just blew up from there. And I'd hide under the fire escape stairs at school or behind tennis courts or I'd, I'd eat, you know, when I started getting, when I got my car, I'd eat, you know, isolated in my car you know, there was always food related in in my life, and and as Alison said, like drugs became a huge issue for me as well. So my addiction just didn't include food. I was addicted to a lot of other substances, which I felt that I was really strong and brave for kicking on my own. Yeah. <laughs> but then I could never do food. I could never kick food on my own. So food from a young age was always 
uh, you know, whether or not I, you know, you know, that whole food pusher thing, you know, I related with my friends where I'd be buying them food or going, oh, look, I'll buy you lunch if you come out with me here. You know, I'd be the one like, you know, using food as a, as a token gesture to get somebody to go and do something with me because I need, you know, really what I wanted, I just wanted somebody to go out and eat lunch with. Yep. I wanted to eat. Yeah. You know, that was it. And I didn't think, again, I didn't think anything was wrong with it at the time, but I was always lit. I always knew I was lit up by food. I was, I, you know, that, what's that thing I can describe to you? And I'm not going to go into detail now, but I can describe with you the, t- you know, the way that when I'd eat something, the way that it made me feel as it slid down my throat and went into me and made me have that comfortable, full feeling. I can describe that. Mm. And I could describe that as a child as well, because it was like, I'd feel good but I didn't think there was anything wrong with it at the time. Mm. It wasn't until later in life that I actually realized. And when I came to program that I realized yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> I was a sick puppy. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, well back to you, Alison. So what caused you to decide to come to food addicts? So it's so funny. Cause I used to ask myself as a kid, you know, if I had a mental illness, would somebody tell me? And if I did, would I be willing to get the help that I needed? And um, it's a kind of a funny question to like, wonder about, but I did. And um, I remember probably, it must have been uh, eight or nine years ago, so it was a few years before I actually did come into SA, a girlfriend of mine's mother who was in SA saw the way that I used to eat. And it was... Um, and she just said to me, you know, I did this program and you weigh and measure your food and, you know, you speak to a sponsor and you, you get on your knees and you ask a higher power for help. And I'm like, okay, weirdo, that's for you, but not for me. And then I remember proceeding that night. And again, I've got this memory for what I ate. I remember what she ate, but I also remember that she roasted a chicken and I asked to eat the carcass because I'd heard somebody else say that like, oh yeah, I like to suck on the bones. And I'm sitting there at this family dinner, mortified and embarrassed because I've, everyone's got like a leg or a wing and I've got like the carcass on my plate. And I'm just, I've got the food all over my face and I'm embarrassed, but I couldn't help myself. And that was kind of like, once you're a food addict, you can kind of like identify with other people that, it, that have these strange desires to do things with food. And um, anyway, and so what happened for me was I was working for my dad. He used to own a cake manufacturing company, and we would, you know, manufacture, like, uh, like tidy cakes, like lamingtons and sponge gels and all that kind of stuff, and I was in product development. And so uh, regularly I'd go to the supermarket because we'd be developing a new product, and it was my job to kind of, you know, a, comp- uh, a supermarket would say, we need a product and we want it to be shelf-stable, and, and I'd give us requirements, and I would have to design the product. And um, I went to the supermarket, and I noticed that I couldn't go past the food court without actually going into the food court and getting this anxiety. And I would say things to my dad, like, you know, I'd call him in the morning on the way to the office and go, what are we doing for lunch? He's like, I don't know, like, why don't you get to work and do some work, and we'll work it out later. But for me, I just, I needed to know, and um, I was just constantly eating all the time. And um, eventually I decided to call a food therapist. Um, and I went, I went to a doctor to get a referral. She gave me a psychologist number and I call this woman while I'm parked in a fast food car park. And I call her to tell her I can't stop eating on processed food. Something's like wrong. It's gone out of control. I just, I don't know what to do. And she said, okay, well, this is in December. And she just said, well, why don't you wait until... January, I've got an appointment on the 26th of January. 
why don't you just hold, like, hold on, don't hate yourself, and let's have an appointment then. And I'm like, great. And so I call my dad and say, Dad, I've got this problem with food, and I'm getting help. And I hang up the phone because I was about to drive through the drive-thru to not eat the food that I said I wasn't going to eat. And then if I did eat it, that I wouldn't throw up. But as I'm eating it, I'm planning where am I going to throw it up. And so I had all of these thoughts going at once. And um, I ended up Googling another food program and going there. And it's, um, it's for people that are compulsive overeaters. And they were doing things. They were talking about food the way that I um, thought about food. So that was really interesting. So, oh, okay, there are people that do what I do. Um, in the way that I think about things. But I said, like, how do I get a sponsor? And they said, oh, don't worry about a sponsor. Just figure out what your binge food is. And I said, well, what's a binge food? They're like, food you can't stop eating. And I'm like, I can't stop eating everything. And they said, well, I'm like, how do I um, get a book or something? They're like, don't worry about it. Just keep coming back. I'm like, where is the food plan? Because I remember my friend's mom telling me there's a food plan. And so they said, oh, you must be thinking of the F.A., and so, thank God there was a meeting that night because I don't think that I would have resurfaced. Um, and so I ended up going to an FA meeting, and that's where I heard hope. I not only heard people talking about food the way that I I did things with food, but I saw people actually in thin bodies. I saw people with clear eyes, with healthy skin, smiling, saying things like, I love my life. That, and that was something that made me cringe. And so I, um, yeah, I jumped on board and have just not looked back yeah that's that's good <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's amazing once you find something that resonates with you how easily it is to adopt it if you believe it's going to do you some good yeah absolutely yeah okay well listen we're just about at, at time um, if there's anybody out there who'd like to find out more about food addicts in Recovery Anonymous, uh, then you can either phone them on 1-800-717-446, go online at foodaddicts.org, or you can email them at faaustralia at foodaddicts.org. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Alan and Alison for sharing their Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous experience with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by Barry from Alaron Family Groups. Uh, if you stay tuned now, we've got Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring Black News and Views, Current Affairs, Music, Sport, Culture and the Arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Oh.